So we're continuing our series through the book of Acts, and just to refresh our minds what the book of Acts is, it's a continuation of what God was going to do through his people, his church, after Jesus ascended into heaven. So the man who wrote the volume, Luke, he was a physician, which would have made him very wealthy and very educated. Um, and so what he would do is he would travel with these on these journeys through Acts and through the gospel of Luke, um, and he would record everything carefully and meticulously. I don't know how they read it because it's a doctor. <laughs> but Acts was written to the same man that Luke wrote his gospel for, a man named Theophilus. And this is the key context for understanding the whole book as a whole. It's a historical recollection of what has happened. He's writing everything as it's happening, and he's going to pass this on to Theophilus. It's not a letter. It's not poetry. It's gospel-centered history. So what we've seen so far, if we back up to the Gospel of Luke, we see the crucifixion of Jesus and his resurrection from the dead. And then after that, he's resurrected. He's walking around. He's taking time to spend with his disciples and followers, and he's instructing them about the kingdom. And then after 40 days, he ascends back into heaven. And then the day of Pentecost comes where Jesus sent the Holy Spirit as he promised he would do to give his believers power to be witnesses to the ends of the earth, everywhere in the earth. And they did exactly that. Look back to chapter 2, verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So they're witnessing. That's what they're doing. <clears throat> 3,000 were added to the church, and they were baptized. And then if you keep looking uh, in verse 42, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. They were feeling a sense of awe. Wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together, a new union like never seen in history before. They had all things in common, and if necessary, they were selling all that they possessed to give to those who might have need, who might have a need. Day by day, they were continuing with one mind together in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, sharing meals together with gladness, with joy and sincerity of heart, praising God together and finding favor with all the people as they would go out into their lives. And the Lord continued to add to their number daily those that were being saved. So the number is up to a crazy amount, 15 something thousand at this point. And this is where we find ourselves when we come to chapter 3 where a man is going to be healed. Why, in telling the gospel-centered history of the church, why would Luke include this story? In order to answer that, we have to see our verses this morning as part of their larger context. Chapter 3 begins a story that doesn't actually close until chapter 4, verse 31. But it begins here in our verses with Peter and John walking to the temple to go and pray. And they see a man who was lame from birth, and he asked them for money. And then the story ends with Peter and John being released from jail for healing this man. So a whole lot happens in between there, but we begin today with the beginning. What we see in verses 1 through 10 are key to understanding the next 46 verses. So what do we see here? We must remember first why Luke is writing to Theo at all to build up his faith. How is he going to build up his faith? How does anyone have their faith built up at all? The same way we all are. By the beautiful, mysterious, wonderfully good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That man is utterly hopeless on their own, in their sin, 
but that a gracious God looks on sinful man and has mercy on them by the life and blood of a perfect sacrificial lamb that stood in their place. It's utterly astounding that a holy and just God would endure such an injustice of the cross that the injustice of unrighteous created beings might be sons and daughters. And yet that's exactly what happened. And that, the gospel, is the key to our verses because what we see in this healing of this man is a glimpse. It's a picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a picture. By this picture, then, our faith is built. So, why is it that we need to see the gospel again? Why, if Dr. Luke has shown Theo the gospel like 14 times already through Acts 1 and 2, why does he here? And why do we need to be reminded of it again? This is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. This is Paul writing, and he says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. So the gospel is not simply how to be saved and, and that's it. It's how we are saved over and over and over again. It's the sanctification process. We need to be rescued daily from our sins. We need to be reminded of our identity as sons and daughters that have been blood-bought by this Jesus. We need to be reminded that Jesus' death on the cross was enough to cover our sin and shame, even the ones that we're currently in. We are saved and we are being saved. Both of those realities hinge on the same gospel. That's why we need to see it again. That's why he writes about it over and over and over again in this thing to Theophilus. For our faith in this Jesus to be built up again, that we might truly and actually live. So with all of that in mind, let's read. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word to us. And we pray now that you would destroy every one of our idols that we are currently holding on to. God, that you would remove every bit of distraction that we have because of our sin, because of our flesh, because of the enemy. 
so that we might spend this time with you and you alone so that you might build up our faith by your gospel, by your word so that we might live. And so, Father, if there is anything that we might think in this time that is contrary to your word, would you remove it from our minds? And if there is anything that I say that is against you and your word, would you let us all forget it? Let only your word, let only what you have for us this morning be what you show us and be what is seen and remembered and felt. God, we pray now that you would be with us and that you would help us and guide our minds, open our minds and our hearts to your word. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. To see the gospel in this story, let's walk through it by verse. Look back to verse 1. Now, and it starts with the temporal clause now, so we have to remember what's before that. That's the uh, verse 42 through 47, what we just talked about, the, the new church. Like, this is what it looks like. They're all together. They're devoting themselves to prayer, to the teaching, to uh, the breaking of bread. And they're all together with everything in common. They're all together. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. So this was just their morning custom. Peter and John were going up to the temple to pray. They did this three times a day. And going up is an imperfect tense in the Greek, which means it's always happening. They did this all the time. They would pray three times daily in the temple, but maybe even more than that. The temple is a widely public place in the city of Jerusalem, so it would be insanely crowded on its own if it wasn't in this specific situation. But remember, over 3,000 people have joined in from other parts of the globe. And so this place is packed out. This is what it would have looked like. Uh, I want to show you the first picture. So this is the Temple Mount. The thing in the middle, that is the temple. That's where you would go in to pray. Uh, and then everything around is kind of market area. Uh, this thing over here with the roof is called uh, Solomon's Portico, which is just his porch. Uh, but this is where a lot of the sermons, a lot of Acts takes place right up here. And I'll show you the next picture. This is what it would have looked like, packed out, Crazy, probably even more so than that. But the man would sit right outside the very front of, that, uh, of the temple. <clears throat> if you look back to verse 2. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they lay daily at the gate of the temple, that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Now, this is a pretty smart place to sit. Because those crowds are there. And it's people who should be of charitable mind. They're going to the temple to pray. So he picked a really good spot. But we know he's probably been at this for a long time. Like, you know, just happen upon that spot. He knows what he's doing. He's got territorial jurisdiction because he's the veteran. He's like, nope, get out of my spot. So the people he sees, he sees them every day. And then the people that see him, they see him every day. He was brought here daily because he's not able to walk. He was lame from his birth. And Luke is writing this as a physician, remember. So he knows the medical terminology, and that's going to come into play a little bit later. But in any case, the doctor, as he's writing, he knows. He has seen it. He saw it with his own eyes. He says, yeah, the man was hopeless. There was no hope for that man to walk ever again. So they place him at the place of hope that hopefully he might gain something. So look at verse 3. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple... 
he asked to receive alms. Now, so what he's doing is just asking for mercy in the form of cash because he surely cannot have a job that is going to pay him anything. So literally, the only thing that he has going for him is if somebody has mercy on him and says, yeah, man, here you go. Here's some. So he sees two men and he cries out. Verse 4. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Now it's really important to see the drama of the whole situation. First of all, they have none of what he wants. They have no money. They don't even have a bag of chips or a water bottle. But in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. If it didn't work, this could be really offensive. This could be them mocking him. Rise up and walk? But he isn't offended. Why? This man is is part of Jerusalem, the same city where Jesus was crucified not 50 days ago. In fact, he probably could have seen it all from afar. Here's the hill where Jesus was crucified. You can see. He could see. Maybe all he knows about Jesus is that he was sentenced and tried as a blasphemer and was executed for it. But somehow, in this way, God was working his hand to save him. And somehow, this man knew it. Instead of simply pushing them away for not having any money, instead of being offended that they would ask him such a thing or tell him such a thing, he knew that God was working in his life. He could somehow sense the power of God. In the name of Jesus Christ is this. Because of who Christ is, because of what he is, by virtue of his character, his authority and his power, rise up and walk. And what happens? Look at verse 7. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Those are Greek medical terms. Luke, the doctor, knowing the hopeless state that this man was in, he knows the medical terms to describe just how clear and immediate this happened. God just recreated his legs. New bones, muscle, tissue, skin. And it's not like he's got a few days of soreness, take a few of these and call me in the morning. No. Verse 8. Leaping up, he stood up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. The man is absolutely full of joy. He has never walked. He never learned how. He's been lame from birth, yet he jumps up. He's leaping around. This is true worship. Being acquainted yet again with the good news of the gospel, that we might be lifted up from the drudgery of sin, And when that does truly happen, there's nowhere else to turn but to praise God. No other God would have met us here in this mess. But God being so much for His own glory, He doles out mercy on undeserving creation, and we get to reap the benefits of it, of the beauty of something like this. Now, we have to deal with the question 
of the gift of healing or the miracle of healing because there's a whole lot of confusion about it. You can ask anyone. They might have a different opinion. You can ask any pastor, any church. They're going to have different opinions about it. There are all kinds of people who claim to be able to heal, but you do not see them in hospitals healing. There are certain people who claim to have the gift of healing, but you have to pay to get in. And still some have seen it and been healed physically, and it's legitimate. So what are we to believe? Here are just a few facts. They'll be up on the screen. The first thing is that Satan and his demons can heal. There are a few mentions in Scripture where uh, Satan and demons can operate as uh, angels of light. Satan operates as an angel of light. They can even do this in the name of Jesus. So if a person is claiming to heal and he's using Jesus' name, it does not mean that it's from Jesus. In fact, Jesus himself predicted that false Christs and false prophets and false apostles would arise and would perform. That means they were able to perform many demonic signs and wonders. Satan operates as an angel of light. If Satan can accomplish his purpose in the name of Christ, he will do it. The second thing is that healing is not primary. The gospel is. There are thousands of books out there on the gift of healing. There are entire teaching ministries on the idea of being healed. And one man once said that his ministry is to heal people, not to proclaim the gospel. Man, what is the point? What would it profit this man if he gained his ability to walk? Or even the whole world if he loses his soul? Christ didn't die for the illnesses of the body. He died for the sin of the soul. Jesus' death on the cross did not secure any physical health for us here, but eternal life. What's more important to the church here and to us is that the miracle was leading them to something greater, faith. If you've listened to any of these kinds of teachers in the past and were given false hope about being healed or about someone you know being healed, I want you to hear, I am sorry. Please know that they will be held accountable for what they taught. The truth of the gospel is so much more than our physical healing. It's about being healed for eternity. Please hold fast to this true gospel. The third thing is that sign miracles are rare today. Sign miracles such as tongues and healing were very prevalent in this time of the early church because God used it uh, in two ways, to draw crowds in so that they could hear the message of the gospel, but then they didn't have the same history. We have it. We can see. We know all this. We don't necessarily need it anymore. Over the 2,000 years since this has happened, the, the sign gifts have seemed to die, have seemed to have somewhat died down from being as so great a magnitude and frequency because signs are no longer needed. We see the sign and the miracle in the written word of God. We need nothing more. So miracles such as this are rare, but they can absolutely still happen. And I hear stories of, from pastors across the globe, but only God knows what is true and false. That is the really hard part about it. But the point is, from this, we no longer need them to know about Jesus. Jesus said, great are those who do not see and yet believe. So what if I pray for a miracle and nothing happens? 
What if I prayed for this person to be healed and they have not been healed? We have to be content to let God understand. We have to be content to let God be and do some things that we just cannot understand. Despite how much faith we have, despite how much we pray, despite how much we do or say or seek any understanding at all, we have to be content to let our glorious Father in heaven understand and know what we cannot know. In glory, none of it will matter except the God before us and the people around us. Can God still heal? Absolutely. God is in the heavens and He does what He pleases. But He also might not. God is in the heavens and He does what He pleases. So be faithful. Be prayerful. But please know that it might not change a single tangible thing about your life or the lives around you ever. But it will change your heart. God is, in fact, after your heart. God is sanctifying your heart. And so whatever the good and gracious and all-knowing creator sees fit to allow into your life, praise him for it. Praise him in it. Is God worthy of worship if he doesn't heal? Absolutely. So then the question is, will you worship and get nothing in return but suffering? Will you take up your cross daily? Will you die to yourself daily? Will you labor in prayer? Will you preach the gospel, die, and then be forgotten? If not, this is not the kingdom for you. Why would God not heal everyone? He doesn't. So let's ask the question, why not? In high school, a girl I was friends with had to have her right hand removed because of a, an infection that she got from swimming in the ocean. And her dad drove her to the hospital for her hand to be removed. It was spreading to different parts of her body, so it had to be removed. It was the best thing that a loving father could do, to let her hand be taken from her. Both good and bad are in the plan of God though we cannot understand it, though we might not ever. So we bow before our king who surely has our best interest at heart as a gracious and loving father. We must trust. We must have faith. The point of the miracle, the point of everything that we just read is not the miracle. The point is the message. The point is salvation. The point is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what led this man to Jesus to give him a picture of heaven. Miracles are just mere previews of what is to come. As we pray for Terry, we know with absolute assurance that even if he never is rid of the cancer on his spine, he will one day be healed. We all will be as believers. This is the hope of heaven for those who do believe. Isaiah prophesied about this day that is to come for us in Isaiah 35. And it says this. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. 
Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. And, the lame, and sh- then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes, and a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way, even if they are fools. They shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. This is the good news of the gospel to the hopeless, to the poor, to the outcasts, to the broken bodies, to the lame, to the blind, to the deaf, to the mute, to the brokenhearted. We are all like this man. Hopeless from birth because of our sin. But we are carried into the gate of salvation by mercy alone in Christ alone. And one day, you and I, through faith in Jesus Christ alone, will walk, leap, and praise God forever. This is a picture of heaven for those who believe. And it's a wonderful picture. Because days here are hard. We understand the theology of suffering more than most churches, I think, because every week you think that we could come up for air, but it doesn't seem to be that way for us. Days here are hard. But one day, one day, we will all leap at the sight of Jesus. How is this true? How is it true that a man, he couldn't walk? He was carried by mercy to the place where he would eventually meet the men who would introduce him to Jesus. How is this possible? How is it true for us? We are utterly dead in our trespasses and sins. And yet, God offers the free gift of salvation, forgiveness of sins. How is this true? Ephesians 2 says this, But God, being rich in mercy... That is undeserved favor. Because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and it is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And should I say, and leap in them, and praise in them. I'm I'm to believe the gospel again today, but why? That I should walk in it. According to it as a dad, as a husband, as a pastor, as a friend, as a fill-in-the-blank for any of us. 
Because only in light of my devotion to the gospel of Jesus will I glorify my God in all of these areas. How can I best glorify my God? If I am to live with all of my life to the glory of God, how do I do it? By living centered on this gospel. And so in order to best remember this gospel, that we might go from this place, that we might walk out these doors with our faith secure and strong in Christ, we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper together. By this body and this blood do we truly live. And so if you're part of the family of faith, you're welcome to partake. However, if you are not yet a part of this family by faith, or if you are in unrepentant sin, I ask that you remain in your seat. For 1 Corinthians says that you would be eating and drinking in an unworthy manner. If you're in unrepentant sin, hear the good news of the gospel again today. That you are purchased with the blood of Christ. And under that blood, you have been forgiven of the sins that you are in right now. Repent of your sins in this time and believe again in the gospel. Strengthen your faith by it. If you are an unbeliever, there will be no walking. There will be no leaping or praising God for you. Only eternal damnation in hell. Unless you would have faith in Jesus Christ as the substitution for your sins and for your righteousness. Would you believe the gospel today? Would you take hold of the free gift of mercy that is waiting for you this morning? For all of us, this is our prayer. Father, we confess our sin of failing to remember the gospel to live. And we pray that by your grace, you would remind us of the covering we have in your body and blood. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. When you're ready, take your time to think through and to pray through what God has given you in his word. Maybe it is to have faith for the very first time. Maybe it is for your faith to be built up this morning so that when you walk out, you know. Whatever it is, take your time to pray through and think through what God has given you. Consider your lives and then grab the elements at the back of the room, bring them back to your seat, and we'll take them all together here in a minute.